Now, the price for the license is less than $20,000, am I right? That's right. Now, why would I ever consider paying more than that? Because I intend to squeeze you. I don't like your kind of people. I don't like to see you come out to this clean country in your oily hair, dressed up in those silk suits, and try to pass yourselves off as decent Americans. I'll do business with you, but the fact is that I despise your masquerade, the dishonest way you pose yourself, yourself and your whole fucking family. If I have a daughter, guess what I'ma call her? I'ma name her Bonnie. I read about your Uncle Ronnie too, I'm sorry. I had a friend kill himself over some bitch who didn't want him. I know you probably hear this every day, but I'm your biggest fan. I even got the underground shit that you did with Scam. I got a room full of your posters and your pictures, man. I like the shit you did with Rockets too, that shit was fat. Anyways, I hope you get this, man. Hit me back, just a chat. Truly yours, your biggest fan. This is Stan. Earlier this week, I tweeted, too many people are fans of politicians. It's weird. Politicians are not your hero avatars of a great moral story. They're public officials whose job is to serve the public. When you become a fan, you lose objectivity and strategy. I am not your fan. I'm a supporter. And a vote is a strategical thought process. It's that fandom that I believe ruins politics. We as citizens put too much of our hopes and dreams into politicians, cascading our wants and needs and ambitions onto people who may have different objectives than yourself. In reality, what it reveals based on our level of interest and support that you can pretty much gauge our who is operating with objectivity or fandom. And this is where I find myself as I've openly and candidly pushed my support behind a particular gubernatorial candidate. I'm in no shape or form caught up in the fantasy idea that my support of this person or any politician is nothing more than a transactional exchange. Yes, I do believe in a candidacy, but more importantly, I believe in the opportunity to participate at a higher level should this candidacy prosper. I'm not fooled by the process of these or the candidates themselves. Having worked on successful campaigns in an advisory capacity, I understand the importance of being part of a campaign and creating a relationship with that candidate in order to confer the benefits later. That benefit being access. 
Now, my opening was a bit more subversive than it appears. Of course, starting with the Godfather clip. Godfather 2, to be exact. Now, here you have two men whose basis of their relationship is entirely transactional. Except one of them has entirely different understanding of who or what they're dealing with. Even going so far as displaying a bit of cognitive dissonance when saying that Michael's whole being, his family included, is a charade. Now, Michael having to remind him that they are both part of this same hypocrisy. And there it is. It's that line to me that secures that Michael is very clear of who he is and what he represents to people and what people represent to him. He's never caught up in the emotion and in the charade of it all. His eyes are always on the objective. Now, if we're going to go deeper, I can say that the senator represents how political parties and for all intents and purposes, the Democrats view black folk. And it seems like on the surface that they are rocking with us. But behind closed doors, when the conversation gets real, they really despise us or our well-being. Not really wanting us, but understanding that they need us. The only difference is, as a collective, I wish black folk would react as Michael does. Cool and calm and understanding who we are and what our power is and making the demands as such. Understanding they need, they need us more than we need them and that we have the power to dictate terms and make them do our bidding. Now, we don't have to set them up in a hotel room with a dead hooker in order to manipulate them to do our bidding, but we should use our social capital and collective strength to get what we want, how we want, and when we need it. No, black folks are not a monolithic entity, but we are a monolith in perspective, that perspective being respect and honoring our sacrifices. We, as a people, cannot be caught up in the emotionality of any candidate. We must be strategic. Otherwise, we end up writing our favorite political great white hope every, every two years, all with the hope of them wishing them they're responding to us winning whenever they get a chance to read our fan mail. In politics, you're either a Stan, the Senator, or Michael Corleone. You can't be all three. And if you don't know which one you are, well, I can tell you which one you're not. And it's definitely not the person making the demands. <sighs> Welcome to Uncultural Bias Podcast. My name is Kamara Williams. I am your host. We say that show- cultures are a matter of perspective and opinion. After all, culture is another way to discover. We are uncultural. We are biased. We are black. If you're tuning in for the first time, welcome, welcome, welcome. If you are a returning listener, welcome back, welcome back, and welcome back. We'd ask that you, if you're a returning or if you are a continuing listener, I mean, first-time listener, go ahead and rate us on Apple and Spotify. Um, leave us a review. That's how they engage. That's how they measure engagement and algorithms about whether or not people are really tuning into the podcast. Uh, we thank you guys for listening, but we ask you to take an extra step more of just reviewing. All right, we want to give a shout-out to our sponsors this week is Coleman Law. You can reach them at www.coleman.law. Um, reach them at 850-597-2990. They'll help you out with your real estate, um, uh, you know, uh, tax issues, uh, business, and all that wonderful stuff. Speaking of real estate, contact Keystone Global Real Estate. If you're in the market for any uh, real estate in Florida, uh, Central Florida in particular, uh, 407-680-8510 or keystoneglobalrealestate.com. And, of course, if you are in the market for probate, estate planning, um, or, um, you know, setting up a trust in particular. We're really pushing out land trusts for those who have different properties and, you know, they have properties in an LLC. Uh, we're trying to advise them to put it in a land trust. Contact Smith & Williams at 888-798-4529. That's 888-798-4529. All right. Brilliant. I got um, 
now we're got through all that opening. I'm gonna go ahead and bring on our guest for this week, Philip. You still with us? Yes, I am. All right, man. Philip Singleton, the um, otherwise known as the hip hop uh, lobbyist. And uh, before I get, I ask you to tell people who you are and what you, why you're so uh, incredible and everything like that. I just want to say that Philip and I operate in the very same space. Um, we're both black men <laughs> that love politics and are very oh. vocal and are very passionate about it. And yes. we, are, we are passionate about our people, you know? And, um, you know, I've always been fascinated with from you from afar. Uh, let me give you your roses because I love how you've always merged um, both our culture into social political advocacy. Thank you. Yeah. And Thank so, you, you know, um, we've never met in particular, but we know a lot of the same people. Right, right, right. Yeah. And so, you know, um, just I know you've been around Tallahassee and I can name drop Tallahassee different people in Tallahassee and all that. And in fact, when I t- was telling people that I was going to have you on a podcast, they were like, Oh yeah, I know you know, Phillips, my dude, you know? And you know, one of them was like, yo, he's, that dude's crazy. He's funny. He's a good guy, but he's, you know, he's, he's a little, he's a little bit, a little bit, uh, you know, <laughs> he'll just say whatever's on his mind. So he said, told me yeah, be, be prepared yeah. for that. So, um, yeah, I, I, I get, I get that a lot. I was in a text message earlier with some people. I think I ruffled their feathers on Twitter mm-hmm. uh, yesterday. And we had a group chat and it was more the fact of, you know, I'm going to be me regardless. Right. But it's, it's not necessarily crazy. I just don't think people realize that there's a method to my madness sometimes. And it may not come out as clear as they want it to be. Right. But as we get into my story, which I'll, I'll say some right now, but there's a reason I'm like this. Yeah. It, 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 it doesn't happen overnight. It, I think it actually ballooned and grew into something that um, is a presence. But I, I'll say well, tell me, yeah, two t- things. One. Yeah, tell me your story. Oh, okay, go, go ahead. I'm sorry. Yeah, 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 two things real quick. I want to also give a shout out to your sponsor, Coleman Law. That they're an amazing group. Um, I know they just opened an office in Tallahassee, and I know they're going to do amazing work. So I'm happy to see that they're a sponsor here. Please uh, visit Coleman Law um, for all your needs, from taxes to real estate, to everything that you need. They're amazing. Yeah, um, shout out to shout out to them. Appreciate it. And, and, and I would say, I would say thank you for <laughs> for not only um the, the intro, the lovely introduction. Uh, thank you for roses. Um, but also at the same time, I understand why people may feel that way about me. Mm-hmm. You know what I'm saying? And a bit of my story, I'm very transparent. If you've heard me before, you, you know it. I never wanted to work in politics. Um, I've told people politics chose me. Right. And I say that because I've been working in customer service since I was 13 years old. My mom came to me, um, I want to say before my ninth grade year. And she was like, Philip, I just can't afford to give you everything you want. Right. I need you to go out and get a job, help put some, uh, money in your pocket so that you can eat what you want at school. You can buy your own clothes. You can get your shoes and things of that nature. And I kind of took it from there and just never really had a path. You know what I'm saying? I like, I, one thing I knew I wanted was by 22, I wanted an office job. Right? My, um, my parents, my, my parents, my mom, but, uh, I'm a first generation American. I'll say this. My grandmother moved here in the sixties to sponsor citizenship from Jamaica. And she brought my grandfather, my mother up, um, a few years later, we, I would say are fortunate for me to be able to have this path, you know, cause a lot of people, they come to America and, and they look at things different and you never know where history and generational things could really take you. So I would always say wholeheartedly, I never wanted to work in politics. Right. right? Um, it's, it's never been an overly vision of mine since I was young. I think it's different because I find a lot of people in politics who've always wanted to do this. They wanted to be elected. They wanted to be a, a lobbyist. They wanted to be whatever. Right. And that just wasn't my tune. 
my thing was I was in my last semester at the Florida A&M University working at the Doubletree Hotel downtown Tallahassee. A week before I was fired, I interviewed with a gentleman named Dwayne Taylor, a newly elected state rep from Daytona Beach, District 27, I want to say, or then District 27. And he interviewed me in the spot. I really asked him if he had staff. He told me, like, listen, I have somebody, but I need you to go see a lady named Miss Judy Mount mm-hmm. in the Capitol. I ended up going to see Miss Judy that Thursday. We ended up walking through the Capitol for like two hours while I'm on my lunch break. And if you know Tallahassee, the double tree is literally like two and a half blocks down from the Capitol. Right. And being so, I guess, wet behind the ears or ignorant, essentially, I wasn't overly concerned or even cared about the Capitol. I mean, I worked at Double Tree for two years, but I didn't overly say, oh, yeah, that's the Capitol. Right? I knew it was there, but I didn't have any affinity to go right. to the building. So that Monday, I was calling in my day job. Uh, we were actually at Steinmark with one of my homies, just window shopping, I guess. And then we got called into my day job on my off day and was told I was let go. And the thing is, it was a weekend after Tim Tebow played his last week, his last game at Dope Campbell Stadium, uh, right after Thanksgiving, the Florida State UF game in Tallahassee. I want to say Tebow scored like five touchdowns that weekend. And the hotel essentially let go majority of the hotel staff. So I ended up taking an unpaid internship in the Capitol, um, fired that Monday, started an internship that Tuesday. And I was listening to Kanye's 808s and Heartbreaks. Uh, Streetlights came on. I'm like, you know what? God, I'm, I'm going to take this path and see where you take me. Right. I'm going to just walk this walk this path or whatever. And I end up going in, realizing that I work for a freshman in the legislature. I said, you know what? I've been a freshman in high school. I've been a freshman in college. I know that a freshman legislator isn't going to have the juice. He's not going to be at the top of the totem pole in this conversation. So let me intern for the entire minority office. So I intern with the entire Democratic office in the House, connected with a lot of members uh, from there. I end up connecting with a lobbyist, end up going to intern with him after my internship at the Capitol. Within two years, I was a government affairs director. And it wasn't even for a fact of, again, I didn't want to do it. I just have a Rain Man-like ability or wholeheartedly being told I'm a nerd, right? Man, maybe a cool nerd, right? But it's like the data, the information, being able to grow and take information and shape it, whatever is needed, I was able to adapt really soon. And just having stuff where I don't even need notepads or talking points, I can have a conversation, memorize what I need to go to a meeting and get it done, it worked. But one thing that kind of catapulted me was the fact of, I was at the hotel connecting with a lot of elected officials. And before you know it, they're like, yeah, you're the guy from the double street. Did I leave my luggage? Did I leave this? I was like, no, I'm interning now. Mm-hmm. And a lot of the members end up taking me under their wing. Uh, white, black, Republican, Democrat, didn't even matter. It's the fact of they saw my work ethic and, and what I was doing. And it just kind of migrated from there. Yeah. And then May 22nd, 2014, 4.03 p.m., I'm sitting at my desk, um, went on my emails, went on Instagram, went on Facebook. And I was like, you know what? This is all boring. And it's a uh, spirit came over me and said, eliminate all distractions and find your purpose. And I really, from that point, I said, you know, I'm going to go on a 42 day fast. I'm going to see where, you know, God's going to take me with this. I, I really feel impassioned about it. I ended up reading Rick Warren's A Purpose Driven Life. And through that book, I realized that nobody else could have my skill set. Nobody else could have my life story, my life journey, and nobody else can do what I do because we're all individually made and we may be connected through life's journey and ebbs and flows and, and weaved in different ways. Right. But at the end of it, it's like, I'm just going to live God's will for my life, t- to be honest. Right. So from there, um, I branched off, end up speaking with a gentleman whose wife, sorry, his daughter was singing in the choir with my future wife in Tallahassee. And then we ended up talking a few conversations and margaritas later, um, he became my first client. And a part of it realized, you know, you have some imposter syndrome, you have some other things, you have to realize that right. this industry is a little different. I would say it's my NBA, it's my NFL, but it's different 
uh, race wise, because there's not a lot of black folks in this in this process. Yeah. And even when you look at it, there are approximately 1700 lobbyists in the state of Florida. There are pro- approximately 53 to 60 that are black by professional doing this, whether they're in-house or contract. I'm a contract lobbyist. And I want to say there are roughly 10 of us across the whole state of Florida, third largest state in the country. And what I saw was an opportunity to say, you know what? At the firm, I represented some of the biggest interests in the state, FAMU, Florida State, Miami-Dade, Broward, Palm Beach County, City of Orlando, nursing homes, hospitals, environmental groups, a little bit of everything. And I said, who's worried about us? Who's worried about the, the individual minority-owned businesses, women-owned businesses, Black-owned businesses, whatever it may be? Um, and who's helping giving them a seat at the table? Yeah. And that's where I really end up really drawing a passion to say, you know what? How can I help you? through this process yeah real quick can you hear my son in the back i can hear your son but I, guess what i'm a family man so i get it i got you no, no I, my, my wife was with him i was just asking yeah you know. yeah um i'll try to pick up where i left off no but you so, yeah go ahead i'm sorry yeah you're good you're good so essentially i realized that there was a void that yeah. can be filled mm-hmm. and just having that experience um five to six years working at the firm i'm like you know what i know i can do it and like I was saying, there was some imposter syndrome. It's like, you know what, can you really do it? Can you really navigate the process? But like I said, it's like, this is my MBA. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? I was 24 at the time, or t- uh, maybe 26 at the time. And really to a point of saying, you know what, maybe I can do this. And had a client, was able to actually relieve an issue form with the state and end up getting them, I want to say $100,000 the first time. My first client, I'm sitting here like, you know what? I can actually do this for real. Right. Then it's a point of who else can I represent in this process? And I kind of trucked it up from there. Um, in 2018, Congressman Al Lawson asked me to help run his reelection campaign uh, in a district that stretched between Jacksonville and Tallahassee. We ran the 2018 race, also ran the 2020 race. Um, and overall, I know that he was essentially drawn out of his district by the governor, but yeah. Uh, we, we had hopes of actually running again and, and holding a strong Jacksonville more than anything, but I'm not on the race this cycle for two primary reasons. One, I have a newborn son. Um, and I wanted to dedicate, thank you. Thank you for that. I, I want to dedicate the first year of his life to him. You know what I'm saying? I don't want to be focused on the campaign and be ripping and running the road. So mm-hmm. mentally I had clocked out from it, even doing any campaigns this cycle only because you don't get this time back, yeah. you know? So it's, it's one of those things where you really have to prioritize, um, everything. Mm-hmm. And from that, I really, uh, help. I mean, let me jump back. Sorry. Uh, from my time moving to Jacksonville, we moved here in 2018 as well. My wife and I ended up doing a Ted talk, which was titled, um, real change comes through policy, not protest, mm-hmm. because I realized that a part of my journey is that there's a disconnect between what our culture essentially wants out of politics, what they understand about politics, and the actual process of getting things done in politics, yeah. right? And I really felt that there needed to be a more strategic effort to say, okay, we talk about Black Lives Matter. Let's not just argue when a police officer shoot, shoots us. Let's also talk about, you know, when a young lady gets uh, shot and killed in the hood and people know who did it. It's a fact of let's at least help not only them because a part of it is, and I don't want to go down the rabbit hole, but to be real, let's say it, ha- it happens in our community. Right. Black on black crime, they want to label it or whatever. There's a certain amount of trauma that happens because that family lost a loved one. Mm-hmm. Right. They need something. They need justice. But a part of it is we don't want to have justice because we don't want to talk. You know, we don't want to snitch. 
But at the same time, if a police officer kills us, we're in the streets. We, we want justice. We want the same thing that the family of the black on black crime family wants. And the issue is there's a part of life to where we have to respect the re- we have that have reverence and respect for quality of life. Right. And I think that if we're talking about a black life mattering, we can't just focus on police brutality. We need to focus on healthcare. We need to focus on education. We need to focus on infrastructure. We need to focus on different aspects. And anybody who's heard me before say this, but there shouldn't be a 24 hour McDonald's in every hood, right? There should be healthier food options. So who is talking about addressing food deserts? Who's talking about everything that um, even kids dealing with PTSD syndromes, living in affordable housing or section eight communities, there are different aspects of a quality of a life. So let's not just get caught up on police brutality. Let's look at a whole holistic quality of life. And a part of it is that even working in politics is a fact of how can we collectively as black operatives make that change happen? So and I'm not just talking. Oh, go ahead. I'm sorry. Go ahead. No, no, no. So I actually want to I want to talk about that. I, I want to talk about, you know, as a collective, how can we as a black operatives and you talk about you being in this space. And I thank you for the introduction and letting people know. Oh, wh- how, you, you didn't say why did you choose to be hip hop? Term yourself hip hop lobbyist. I got you. I got you. So it was two things. I was on social media before. Well, really, Facebook when it was just for college students, right? right? And even Twitter when it was just like young. There were a lot of people who just weren't migrating. And I had an undergrad um, nickname that really wouldn't be politically safe, right? right? And it wasn't anything homophobic, nothing racist, nothing like that. It was just the fact of a maturity level had to hit. So what happened was we're representing Florida State Student Government Association. They had us put a constitutional amendment on the ballot to where we actually worked with Matt Gates, the current congressman who has the sexual yeah, um, yeah. demo, yeah, sexual yeah. trafficking, right? <laughs> Whatever about him. He actually helped sponsor a constitutional amendment. And the thing about it was um, it, when it passed the House, I want to say it passed 118-0, it passed the Senate 40-0, and it went on the ballot. I'm sitting here like, okay, there are two things that I love. I love the hip hop culture and community. I've been a fan of hip hop since the regulators, Warren G, right? Right. And the other thing I really fell in love with was being a lobbyist because I realized that if I can put something on the ballot where at the time I want to say 17 million people living in the state of Florida, 18 million, let's say be safe. Um, if 18 million people can make a decision on something that I've worked for, yeah, then I know it's powerful because it's not only going to change the law in the state of Florida, it's changing the constitution for the entire state of Florida, right? right? Now, unfortunately, that constitutional amendment, if you know the rules, it didn't get the 60 percent vote that it needed from citizens to actually go on the yeah, constitution. Yeah. Yeah. But even even for a fact of having that 55 percent or 50 percent, it was powerful because people made a decision. Yeah. Right. And that's where I really decided to make the brand of the hip hop lobbyist to say, you know what, let me just join two things I love. And honestly, the only heat I've taken from that name has been from black folks, Republicans and white people love it. But black folks hate it. And I get it, but why do they hate it? It is what it is. Why do they hate that? As I've to- as I've been told, one, it makes it seem as if I only have relationships with black Democrats. Two, they wouldn't hire anybody working in politics relating to hip hop because they don't see any energy there. And I said, I hear what you're saying, but I don't believe it because when elections come around, y'all the first ones to go to hip hop entertainers and artists to have them go support a candidate so there has to be some synergy there the only difference that i saw was after the election where the celebrities at where the entertainers at and they still have issues that need to be addressed but but that's a uh, short synopsis on how the hip-hop lobbyists came to be so listen this is i'm glad you you know um you said all that and and i just had a thought right Mm -hmm. it's kind of i don't know if this 
merged into you know, when you were thinking think about the opening. Um, you know, I talked about Michael, and he sat there, and um, you know, he was processing what the senator was saying, right? Mm-hmm. And then he, he at that point he made a point to say, you know, you know hypocrisy. Um, a lot of times, I think with with Michael, he felt very protective over his family. You know, in in the, in the movie, and protective of what that family looked like. And I think when pe- you said black people were maybe critical, maybe because they were they were, were very protective over our culture, and we're trying to figure out. You know, they were like, we don't like infiltrators coming. Not you, but like saying other oh. groups, yeah, coming in and infiltrating and mischaracterizing and then using it. To your point, only every you know every cycle they come in and want to utilize our culture, and then when it's done, all right, you know, we'll see y'all in two years. You know, and then so. Maybe there was that hesitancy a little bit. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I would say that, but, but I would also say this. I have a business relationship with the marketing arm of Maybach Music Group. Mm-hmm. And I, I was actually speaking with them earlier. They just finished a rolling loud last week um, in Miami. And the, the biggest thing, even talking to him, was the fact of our first conversation dealt with the entertainment tax credit in the state of Florida. Yeah. If anybody's familiar with that, um, or even a video game head, they may remember NBA Live. Um, as a game, which is headquartered EA Sports yeah, in yeah, Orlando. Orlando. Yeah. They received $2 million from the state to build a video game, to make a video game that they end up scrapping the project. Now, I'm not sure if they paid the money back to the state or not, but in that same vein, they had a half a million dollar credit to shoot music videos in the state of Florida that showcase the state of Florida. Now, with this half a million dollars, you could buy new cameras, you could buy new equipment, wardrobe, fruit, whatever, right? right? It'll it pay for permits and all. The issue was, there wasn't one entertainer or entertainment industry or a hip hop head in the state that was taking advantage of this. Now, mind you, mm. if you watch Real Housewives of Atlanta or anything that's shot in the state of Georgia, Tyler Perry Studios, whatever, right? right? You'll see the Georgia emblem at the end of the video, right? right? Mm-hmm. Essentially, that's what was happening in Florida before it right. got too conservative and, and we had some issues with the Pitbull music video, right? right? But essentially, my conversation was, it's happening. Right. It's happening here. Right. Right. There's a there's a culture to where we can actually produce these videos. People always want to come to Miami on the beach, on the water, whatever. I'm not saying have a boat full of bikinis with chicks or chicks with bikinis and stuff. But there's things that we can do to help highlight the state of Florida in music videos that we do do in the culture. Right. But we're not taking advantage of it. That's really where it started. So even the, the negative part of it is like, you know what? I don't think that. And I honestly feel this way that everybody knew the ramifications of what was really happening from an entertainment and film standpoint in the state of Florida. Now, mind you, it's been a struggle to get those monies back. Um, Visit Florida and, and all the rest of them kind of put the whole tax credit and entertainment thing in, in a tight bind. But it is a fact of saying there are tax government dollars, not only in Florida, but in Georgia, in California, in Texas, in Louisiana, in New York, wherever, to have the same kind of tax credits between music videos, films, whatever, and there's no one essentially taking advantage of it outside of the state of Georgia, right? right? So my biggest thing is there's a lot of synergy there, but even though people will feel protected, it's a fact of like, we just need to be more involved. And, and I think that's I the agree. biggest thing is like, we're not yeah. involved enough yeah. to know what's happening. So if I'm taking the, the, the leap out on faith to say, hey, here's what's happening, here's what we can possibly do together, then that's what it is. I, I agree with that. I agree with that. Uh, point of, I want to add, this has nothing to do yeah. with nothing, but I want to ask you, are, wait, are you a Godfather Godfather fan? Big big Godfather fan. Okay, this is my. I've always wondered this. Always wondered this. Do you ever think that Michael 
that scene, I've always pondered about this. Mm-hmm. Um, obviously, it's a fake character, but whatever. Did Michael's opinion change on what he was going to ask the senator upon the senator's reaction to him? Because I always wondered, like, you know how he says, you know, you're going to pay the gaming license and you're going to, you know, and it's like he kind of at that point, Michael's like, well, now I have to show you who I am. Because right, I don't right, like because right. you just disrespected me in my face at my home in my office in front of my in front of the people that work for me, so now I have right, to right, like right. show you, and right. you know to the point. And sometimes I wonder did the center create his own demise based on how he he reacted to Mike. And there's a lot there's a bigger question I have here. It ties in, but I just want to hear you know actually you know where I'm going. I, see, I, I see where you're going. Yeah, but I see where you're going. if you what do you what are your thoughts? Do you think Michael changed his opinion based off to how the senator reacted? Yes, very much so. Because that's that's real life politics. I mean, I've been in situations and rooms where Republican and Democratic members have cussed my clients slap out, mm-hmm. right? And and the clients had to sit there, sit there. They didn't have the bag with them like that. It's like, okay, I'm gonna sit here and take it. But in my situation, it's like I can own you, and yeah. and that's the difference. So I, I'm gonna let you get your rocks off, mm-hmm. but I'm responding a way like you know what you're gonna feel me better rather than seeing me because you got disrespectful. And I think that that really happens in politics because. When you end up, end up having such big players who have the purse, essentially, mm-hmm. they can drop a million dollars in your re-election race for or against you, mm-hmm. right? So it's, it's one of those things that you can piss them off or whatever, but it's a fact of some people can come after you if you don't reply the way they're doing it. I want to say the thing you're talking about is the casinos. Um, I like Godfather 1 and 3 better, to be honest. I, I like 2. Wow. Um, it's only because of Fredo. I'm sitting here like, Fredo was nonsense. I'm like, you know what? Uh, I just really don't buy one like that. Mm-hmm. But um, I've never heard anybody say oh, they like one in three more than two. Only because one, one is a one is stipulate like two. I want to say he had the flashbacks with the daddy, right? Yeah, yeah. Two, I think it good is good telling that story. Three, I, I really like it because it, it shows Michael wholeheartedly, like a full circle. Because mm-hmm. when you look yeah. at Sonny, when you look at Fredo, when you look at the family, even Tom, it's like you know what you see the different faction, how everything moves. Yeah. But with three, it's kind of like you see his growth and maturity. Especially, you know, after Kate loses the baby and he's yeah. like, they get back together. Everything else is kind of like, I see it, but it's kind of like, like the tail end of life. Like yeah. I could have done better in different areas, but two's good. I just like the, the beginning and end a little better, but two has a lot of meat. Yeah, no doubt. No doubt. Yeah. So you mentioned, um, you've been in, been in rooms where politicians have reacted and they're like, all right, now, mm-hmm. now the, the person with the big bag, big bank takes a little bank. Like, all right, now I have to react to you accordingly. Mm-hmm. Um, you've mentioned like well, I, I get to so much I want to ask you, talk to you about. But let me, no, I got you. Let me, we let got fo- time. We got time. Let me focus. So, all right. So, one of the qu- thoughts are probably it's like how black people interact with, um, the political process. He said we don't understand. Right, it. right, right. And do you think it's our reactions or interactions with poli- with, you know, whether the power players that forces them to deal with us by casting us aside, or like, or do you think that it's just like, is it anything we're doing? You see collectively, like, man, we, we don't do enough. We don't, we don't operate enough. Yeah. 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 It, it, here's what I realized. And I get it. Right. Especially from the activist standpoint, Martin Lee Anderson was the last protest for real. I went in like, okay, I want to demand some justice. Right. Right. And the, the difference is you can demand what you want. Right. But this is a negotiation. Absolutely. Right. Right. So and, and that's that's why I feel the culture kind of loses grips on it. Right. Case mm-hmm. in point, I mainly handle appropriations. Right. Like from, from most of my clients. Right. 
which would get money in the budget and have the governor essentially approve. So let's say my client needs half a million dollars. Right. Right. But there's there are a thousand projects in a budget and they only have three million to give. Mm-hmm. Right. It would be kind of asinine for the legislature to say, listen, we're going to fund you at half a million for what you're requesting. Maybe we can get you in at a quarter million. Maybe we do 200,000, 150. Right. There's got to be something in there to where it's like, you know what? Yes, I'm not going to below 150. If you can give me 200, that's even better. We want the whole half. But guess what? We'll survive and come back next year. That's a part of the process. It's also part of the process to say, you know what? I know there was some controversial legislation here in Florida. Don't say gay bill, CRT, things of that nature, or even the Roe v. Wade decision that came down congressionally or through the Supreme Court. I feel, and this is from my experience, that it would be better to have a multifaceted approach to say, you know what? We're not going to get CRT. We're not going to get this. We're not going to get that. But guess what? We're going to get money for food deserts. We're going to get money for kids living in the urban core. We're going to provide full wraparound services for mental health and substance abuse and things of that nature. Because we're not going to win them all, but we're going to win some. And the issue is when you have big corporations or big cities, because I've seen it from like AT&Ts of the world, mm-hmm. right? And the Broward, Miami-Dade and Palm Beach counties of the world to where, to where they give their lobby team 50 issues, Right. Then we go in this lobby team meeting and they say, listen, we only care about three of these things for real. Right. Right. We understand what the commission said. We understand what the citizens said. We don't like work it. We want you to work it to a point of exhaustion, but understand that it's not our priority. Right. Because we need these three things because these three things are going to run the county $50 million right. that we don't, we can't afford to pay. Right. So a part of it is I get it. Right. Black Lives Matter, the movement, police brutality, whatever it is. Right. But then it's like we're only going for one trick pony or one issue prerogative. Mm-hmm. So if we're going to the chair of criminal justice and say, listen, I know you're on criminal justice approach. Would you fund substance abuse, mental health programs? No, I'm not doing that. I'm not doing that. Whatever. All right, cool. Well, you're also on the health care committee. And did you know that Duval County has the highest suicide rate amongst any county in the state of Florida? How do you feel about funding another project that in addresses in a part of it is that may not realistically work for every conversation that, that analogy right right but a part of it is just going to something else right. because you only have three to five minutes in these conversations with members so you have to kind of do your due diligence before the fact and be like you know what we're not going to talk about this we're not going to talk about this we're not going to talk about this with that number let's go in and get these two or three things done because we know their position right, right? and the issue ends up being we have a we have a position as activists as protesters whatever and like you know what we demand this we demand justice. You need to do this shit or you're racist, right? Or you're this because slavery and all everything else. And it's like, I get it. I'm not saying that it's not a, a messed up system, right? That we've all had to grow in as America has developed. Right. But the, the problem is we have people who don't understand the process. Right. They don't understand how things operate. In case in point, one that really struck a nerve with me was the Marjorie Stoneman Douglas protest, mm-hmm. right? When that shooting happened with Nicholas Cruz, within a week, the um, students from uh, that school yeah. came to Tallahassee to march and protest. Yeah. The issue was, and check this out, this is the re- real part of it. While they're literally walking to the Capitol to protest, the budget was already set for the state. Like We were in the last two, three weeks of session. Right. That means that all the policy pieces are done. done There's yeah. nothing we can do policy-wise to, yeah. to really get done unless it's an emergency meeting right. and, and the that, speaker and the chair that the or governor, speaker and president. That the governor may call emergency yeah. Right. 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 But, but even in even in spe- when we're actually in session for those 60 days, there's a point where I want to say after day 45 or day 50, all committees stop. Yeah. Right. 
So essentially, all the members are on the floor for the last 10 days of session outside of conference, because conference, we essentially have a one hour meeting notice to show up to negotiate or get our money in the budget. Right. Where the point where the students protested was when we were in budget conference where there were no more meetings. So the only way we would be able to actually have a meeting is if the, both leaders, the speaker and the president say, listen, have this committee meet. Here's some language we want. Pass it out. Meet for two or three hours. Have people testify for a minute or two at a time. And then we'll just create something that, that actually works. The issue is how that really worked realistically played out. They moved $50 million around in the budget to provide school hardening, right? That $50 million was all black member projects, majority, right? So if you're a black member from Miami all the way to damn Pensacola, your projects were bundled in together to, to give the $50 million of school hardening, right? And the issue ends up being, yes, that was a, I guess, cherry on top for the kids. I hear what we're doing. But the, the real process of it is they weren't able to do anything for a whole nother year to that next session right. only because of where we were in the process. And a part of it is I get more frustrated, like I was saying earlier, because when you see it, you get frustrated because people want real answers. People want real solutions. Right. And when they don't understand the process and they have demands they want to make and the timing of their demands don't match up to the policy and where it's happening in the process, that's where the frustration uh, grows and bellows right. because there's only 60 days. 365 days in the calendar year but for those 60 days is the only time they're focused on any policy or legislation and, and it's really and it's really when you say 60 days but it's really 45 days facts yeah so you really have a yeah. 45 day window to get to push in and a whole year to fix to push in 45 to push in um a whole year worth of stuff to push in 45 days worth of work is nothing isn't right and, and, and they get monday mornings and fridays off uh -huh. So really, yeah. it's probably less than forty-five to be real. Yeah, yeah, for real. Yeah, because they have to for travel days. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. Um. All right. So let's talk about pissing people off, Phil. All right. All right. So listen, I'm doing something different here on this pod. Apparently, mm -hmm. um, we have a mutual friend, and uh, Jamie Coleman. Yeah, yeah. Shout out to Jamie, and Jamie always says, "Come on, you always get people." Uh, Jamie's my best friend, by the way. And so, okay. yeah. And so she's like, you always get people who agree with you on your pod. And I'm like, I don't know. That's necessarily true, mm. but okay. Right. Right. But there is one thing we don't, we agree on a lot of things, but I thought this mm. was really funny. It'd be nice to have. We don't agree. I don't think you're a fan of the person who I'm backing with in the, in the gubernatorial race. Right. And so um, I think it would be a disservice if we didn't at least address that. Yeah, I get that. I get that. Yeah. I got you. Um, I don't have a problem with Nikki Fury, to be honest, right? Yeah. I have a problem with how she treats her black staffers. Fair enough. And, and, and that, I, think, I think that's a fair point. If you really look at the history, I'm not going to do it because I have very close friends that are in her office and, and multiple people that, that work for her. Mm -hmm. And when you end up hearing from multiple people mm -hmm. the different things that happen, it's kind of like, oh, but then the other part of it is her comms consultant, I think, is for the shit, to be honest, right? And it's not even the fact of saying, oh, he doesn't do good quality work. I told him he does good work. I just don't like the fact that he's a culture vulture, mm. right? Because you can end up having a situation where you're producing all these videos, you're getting all this content for people, right? Mm -hmm. But then you're not hiring anybody black. Yeah. But you live, in a, you live in a city where the School of Journalism and Graphic Design are there, and you can't find one qualified black person to, to hire on your team, right? Right. And when the candidates like that and their consultants are like that, who else is going to speak up about the bullshit? Right. 
Right. Now, the only other part that, I, that I've drawn more ugh, frustration with is politicians who sell people bullshit. Right. And my, my two things are the marijuana license and reparations. All right. Can we right. talk? So- Go ahead. I'll, I'll tell you, go ahead. Yeah, because I want to I want to break into these are two, two different separate parts that are important, right? Okay. So let's talk about you know representation in staffing politically, right? Yeah, right. All right. Um, number one, I agree with you. I agree that we need to see more of us in politics in staffing. In fact, I'm gonna even take one step further. I think that. Um, politicians should hire nothing but black staff. And let me tell you why. Mm-hmm. Um, being black and professional in, first of all, being black and professional, you're, you're dynamic in itself, right? Mm-hmm. Because of our experiences. And we have to like, we have to walk two worlds. We have to, so in order to walk two worlds, you have to understand two worlds. Right. You, fit, you, right. you understand right. that, right? So now you have a duality now, but, if you're black and professional and you're into politics, like now you have this trifecta and this, uh, you know, this understanding of seeing things from a lens and a spectrum that not a lot of people can see. And, and I feel like, and this is just not white politicians, black politicians as well. They don't hire enough black staff in, they don't. in their campaigns. They don't do it. They don't see, and they don't see the value. And it's, it's weird, especially when they're like, Oh, you need experience. And then I'm like, but then you see them hire people with no experience. Who, who, whose only experience is their skin complexion. Now, right. now I, I'll tell you a quick story. 2014. Yeah. I'm working. I'm working Gwen Graham's race to do canvassing. Mm-hmm. Same race, same election or district that um, Congressman Lawson's running in against Neil Dunn. Right. Right. We ran the canvassing program. We ran the second most efficient canvassing program in the nation right. next to Texas District 16. There was a gentleman that interned, not interned, he worked for the Camson campaign in 2014. Today, he's government affairs director for Tico Energy, right? Mm. Or whatever. The issue I have is how can, and I, you see it all the time, right? Right. You have black legislative aides, you have black committee staffers, you have black staffers in general. You have black lobbyists, interns, whatever. The career ladder isn't the same for us. Yeah. Period. Yeah. Right. There are countless number of political operatives who end up working on campaigns, statewide, local, or whatever, right? Na- nationwide, who are like, listen, Phil, yeah, the campaign just ended. We lost. I'm looking for a job. I may move to D.C. I may move to Georgia. I may right. do something else. Three, four years later, they're out of politics completely, yeah. right? right. Or, or they're doing something else. It's like, you know what? I'm still using some political connections, but I'm not really in politics like that, whatever. Then the conversation to me comes like, Phil, how you survive? And like, shit, because most of my clients, one, not on Twitter. <laughs> Two, right. Is a fact of they they see my value on what I'm bringing, right. right? And at the same time, it's like I know that there's so much room for us because you have some firms that are making three, four, five million dollars a quarter of the year, and they don't have no black representation in their entire firm, right? But they represent black businesses, right. or they represent uh, clients who have black client black uh people that they provide stuff for, right? right. So it's a fact of the trajectory isn't the same for us. And it gets, I get more pissed off. And this is my piece, right? I know you didn't ask. I'm going to just share it. Yeah. I'm at dinner with the congressman and the leader of one of the top insurance agencies in the state of Florida. I tell them and pull them to the side of my, listen, you guys know you have no black lobbyists on your team. Oh shit. I didn't know that. All right. He goes and sets me up a meeting with the government affairs director. 
we go to uh, Sharky's um, in Tallahassee. We have coffee, having a conversation. He looks at me and says, listen, I got to call my lobbyists to see if they want to add you to the team. Now, mind you, the firm was nothing but a team full of white guys, right? right? The white guys came back and said, you know what, huh? we don't really need them. Because my angle is you're an insurance provider right. that provides insurance to black folks, but you don't have nobody black lobbying on your team. Right. Right. I'm also connected to the congressman who's on the health care committee. So if anything's coming down federally, there can be a link. Right. right. If anything's happening at the state, there can be a link to where I'm bringing additional that added value right. to your conversation. Right. Right. And to your company. The lobby team told me, no, they didn't want to add me to the team. They didn't want to add me to the contract. Right. 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 And then the light bulb clicked and said, you mean, damn, okay, cool. You can have your own company. You can go work for a congressman. You can do everything else. You can have a whole TED Talk in these streets, right? Right. And then there's a white person in another office who's telling me you're still unqualified. That's the part that really burns me. I'm glad you said that because that's exactly what I was thinking. I was like, so somebody like you who's had, who has multitude different connections, relationships, and Mm -hmm. understands the process, and they're deeming you unqualified. That's and, and this is before this is before I started saying shit online too. Yeah, that, that, that's not. This is when I'm still the nice guy. Oh, Phil, yeah, I know Phil. Yeah, he cracked yeah. jokes. He's yeah. funny. He's yeah. on top of his work. Yeah, and all of a sudden, yeah, uh, I don't know about that guy. Right, and you clearly have a value, but they've diminished your value. So in their mind, they diminished my value. Yeah, in their, their mind, not not your value has never been, but in their mind, they've you know they think they've diminished your value, and or they've they've created right. a value that doesn't really match with you who you really are, and therein lies. The biggest issue is that, to your point, the the goalpost has moved, right? For us, the the resume is always is always skewed a little bit differently for us, right? And they don't right. trust us enough. But then, when you get in the same room with them, and you're sitting there watching them, and you're like, "Yo, you guys are dumb as fuck," like, right. like consultants, you you sit there and look at a consultant who's getting paid a hundred something thousand dollars for three or four months worth of work and you're like, they're like looking, they're looking at you for answers and you're like, yo, you're the one got the bag. Like, what do you, you don't know what you're what doing. Are you doing. What are you doing? Right. And, and that, that happens not only in the campaign side, but the lobbying side. I, I remember on the name drop, I'll give Bill Peoples an, an amazing lobbyist, amazing person. Um, he used to be the primary utility lobbyist in the state of Florida. Two things he told me, right. And people took this the wrong way when I say it at first, we're standing outside the Capitol in front of the old Capitol and the new Capitol. Mm-hmm. Right. He says, Philip, I know you're on your own. I got to give you some advice because I've always respected you. Always, you know, I'm like, all right, cool. Let's talk, man. What's up, Bill? Oh, Mr. Peoples. I always call him Mr. Peoples. Be real. Um, there's no more room to just to have a black lobbyist lobby the black caucus. Right. And I sat back and said, man, he paused. He's like, you need to go out this summer and get relationships on both sides of the aisle, mm. Democrats and Republicans. Go out there because your skill set is good. You can do it. Right. And a part of me realized that he was right because when you end up talking to folks, the issue is, oh, he's black? Oh, we already got enough content for the black lobbyists. Oh, guess what? I went to undergrad with the, the minority leader and guess what? Shit, I don't need Phil to do this. I can go to anybody. And that's the problem. We're not a monolith, like you said earlier. I can talk to anybody. I had the chairman of the Florida GOP, Senator Joe Gruders, sponsor a project for me this year that was funded at $250,000. Mm, right? Right. How can you do that if you're only talking to black Democrats? Right. Right. How can you get one point three million dollars a year or 80 percent of my clients funded in the budget every year and 50 percent of them actually get past the veto pen if I'm only talking to Democrats and black folks? So the issue is they look at you and say, damn, do we need another 
Um, somebody else to talk to the Black Caucus? Well, shit, I can go get the chairman of the GOP. What are we talking about? I can go get the, anybody. Because a part of it is I've realized I'm a people person. Mm-hmm. Again, I've been in customer service since I was 13. I can talk to anybody. I've been a banker, stalker, or overnight stalker. <laughs> Let me put that. Right. An overnight stalker at yeah. Target. A teacher's aide, a valet, a front desk clerk, a little bit of everything. So just imagine when you have a plethora of people who've thrown at you with different attitudes and different situations. It's kind of like, you know what? I don't care if you're Republican, Democrat, Rick Scott or whoever. I'm going to pull up on you. I'm going to say what I need to say. And we're going to have a conversation about me getting this meeting because guess what? It's important to my client. Because guess what? My client's dealing with some kids who are dealing with PTSD syndromes and, and, and they need to learn. So they're not a part of the school to prison pipeline. I'm just as passionate as these kids as I am about talking to you. I'm going to get in front of you and talk to them. Right. And the issue is when you have people in another office, I listen, yeah, he's black. Again, do we need to talk to the black caucus? No, we're good. We don't need them. I'm not that expendable. Right. I bring I bring some value to the team and it's more of a fact of like, damn, if I'm dealing with this, guess what? I wasn't the first person. And you're not because I be had last. at least and you're not gonna be the last. Right. I had at least I'm, I'm not the last, but I had at least 20 different black lobbyists come tell me the same thing. Yeah. Before I even said anything or experienced it myself to where they were like, listen, yeah, I, I reached out to the client. We're connecting. The CEO called him like, yeah, I want you to add such and such to the contract. The lobbyist called the black lobbyist. Like, listen, don't be caught talking to my, my client no more. I'm like, I thought we were good. Yeah, yeah, I know we good, but I ain't giving you none of this money. Fuck what he talking about. I ain't adding you to shit. Wow. And when you when you deal with that, when you hear that, it's like, you know what? No, I'm going to pull out the bread because y'all fucking with a real nigga right now. I'm going to just lay your ass out. Right. Right. Because a part of it is you need to expose people for the bullshit that's happening or at least let people know, like, listen, we could be getting a lot more done in this culture for our people if there are more of us here. But here's the here's the wall you're going to hit. Right. So that. that- there's there's um there's honesty in that and I appreciate that because again even on the local level which I've dealt with it man like my frustration in lines with people who candidates locally they don't feel like they need mm. a black consultant like right you know and it's like but they need but they only they need you when they realize their messaging is not connecting then they come to right. you but then they come to you when they're like oh I don't have I don't have enough money in the budget. Yeah, thank you. I was gonna say that. Yep, let's talk. Yeah, you know, and that's therein lies my problem. Like you, you didn't need me. Now you need me, but now you don't have the money for me. But you done spent all this money. These people who I could have told you from the jump, they didn't have what you were looking for. You know, because I know you wanted to. I I could tell you chopping a bit on that part. No, no, no. I'm I'm agreeing what you're saying. It's real. I don't have anything else on that. Yeah. On that. Yeah. So I mean that there. Therein lies, you know, against a lot of my frustration. Now, you did mention um, something about uh, Nikki's office and not, not treating her staffers fair. Like, here's the, here's the thing: I'm, those experiences, I have no doubts, are are entirely valid. Um, mm-hmm. There's no buts about it. Those experiences are valid. Um, I have friends in the offices as well. That is interesting because they, their experiences are entirely different black black staffers right uh-huh. um and so I was, I was fascinated to hear that and i want to hear more about how you feel about what, like what what actually happened because again when i when i talked to people who were staffed in their office who were black you know they said nothing but good things and so i yeah. want so that so that means that there's another perspective and i'm sure those experiences are real so i want to hear about those perspectives as well because you know they're not. Mm-hmm. They're no. Um, no less val- invalidated. You know what I mean? Yeah, uh, and I don't want 
isolate or expose anything. I just want to say that I think what people may share may be truthful to them, but then yeah, there's yeah. also people who are just right. frustrated in, in their roles and positions. And right. like, listen, that's not really what's going on. Right. Like, right. Ain't nobody listening to nobody black in this office. So right. it's kind of like if you hear that a couple of times, it's like I get that, but that that's actually maybe a crumb of my issue. Yeah. The, the bigger issue to me is like. Y'all not hiring nobody black on the campaign. Basically, another thing, just history-wise, in 2010, we saw the same thing play out with Alex Singh. Mm-hmm. She was a CFO, only a statewide elected Democrat, right? And instead of running for re-election, which probably could have been safe, she ran for governor, ended up losing, right? And what I really saw, not only from Nikki, but from the party is, we're just going to run whoever ends up winning and just stick them in, right? To where we end up having conversations about death chances mm-hmm. and everything else, right? And then 100,000 Twitter followers. And all these different things I see, and I'm like, you know what? It's frustrating as a Democrat to see this because it doesn't engage folks. Right. It doesn't have people like, oh, I want to go vote for this person. To me, instead of something new, if you say, you know what? We need a more affordable Florida. Yeah. Before inflation was the issue before the rece- ongoing recession is the issue, right? Speak to people, people's pocketbooks. And it's not just a Nikki, Nikki thing. It's an overall, Hey, um, Democrat messaging. Yeah. It's off. Right. So part of it is the messaging's off. You're not saying nothing to engage folks. Mm-hmm. And we really can't just blame DeSantis for everything. Cause the way I looked at it, just the way she was campaigning is, it's almost if you go on your first date and with somebody and all they do is talk about their ex the whole time. Yeah. Right. So where you're not really sharing nothing, your favorite color, yeah, 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 what yeah. you like to do, your I weekend type vibe. It's just like, you right. know what? My ex did this. And my ex did that. And my ex did this. And we, here's what, why you need me. It starts right? becoming white why noise. It starts becoming white noise after a while. Exactly. Right. And, and I think that's really what it is because it's like you see the missteps yeah. and it's like, listen, man, I know how your office running. Guess what? You could have probably been more competitive running for reelection rather than running for government. Right. And that's the problem I have. It's like, you know what? We're willing to, to sacrifice a whole cabinet seat. And just to fill her ego. And I think people know what may happen, whatever. But at, at the end of the day, it's kind of like, I'm not with the bullshit. I'm just, I'm just on support. Of it. So let me, uh, I, so small, small pushback on something here, right? Yeah, I got you. Um, t- number two, number one, because um, I do know, some, I need, do know three black people on her campaign team. So I want to, I want to direct. No, no, I got you. I yeah, got yeah, you. yeah. So I don't want to sit there and, uh, you know, I'm in regular communication with them. All the time, um, but um, that doesn't mean that there should be more or high, higher, higher position. I don't know what the level of, you know, their. I have an idea, but you know, you never know yeah, until yeah. you're behind the de- scenes. Like, are their voices validated? You know, from uh, their voices or opinions validated with inside those doors as far as nav- navigation strategy. Um, mm-hmm. They tell me they are, but you never, you never know, right? But let me add a uh, small pushback here. Um, Focusing, focusing the ire on Nikki and her ego running. I don't think Charlie should be in a race. I don't either. You know what I mean? I don't think Charlie is a guy. And honestly, we all know. I mean, you've probably heard the same things. Why the governor's race shaped the way they was because a certain person decided to run for U.S. Senate, and the dominoes fell. Where yeah yeah uh, you know and we then we I don't know if you've heard the same things about why they chose to run for Senate as opposed to governor. I I never heard the why, but I do know this. Um, 
there was uh and i, I gotta mince my words here because i was i was perfect to a lot of information i don't want to share and expose and, and right? that's the same thing I, i'm very i'm right yes yeah, so i don't want to like put out information because i've heard a number of different things i don't really want to put that on wax. right exactly exactly right. you feel me right um i know that there was a, a media stunt that was happening and the text message that i read came out and basically said like listen how are you going to run for governor when I'm thinking about doing it? Right. Mm-hmm. And I thought that person could have been the best candidate overall. Right. Really from aspect of this. And I'm just, just yeah. painting the picture. Right. Yeah. Stacey Abrams had to, from what I've heard, be convinced to run for governor again. I mean, can we be willing to say the name? Val Demons? Yeah. Or not? Yeah. We can say, yeah. all right, cool. Yeah. yeah. And I'm just thinking, okay, from a big picture perspective, if you have Val Demons and Stacey Abrams running in the South, yeah. Black people are going to be energized to show up, right? Because where have black women been more disrespected in life? In the South, mm-hmm. period, right? So in order to energize that base, I think it, it's stronger there. I do get the fact that I think she'll be at the top of the ticket running for U.S. Senate. But then it's the fact of, let's just be real, there's a disconnect between our, our community and police, Yeah. right? So even for the fact of you running as, as a chief, chief Val lover, right? The only issue I have is I think it's a better narrative that'll help Democrats nationwide if she was running for governor. Only because she's a former law enforcement and she can do what Jimmy Carter lost, which was, I believe Jimmy Carter was, was the president who lost the police for Democrats, right? Mm-hmm. And, and Reagan basically took it over, supposedly, right? So, something on those lines, somewhere, right. somewhere in that old school guy. The Southern strategy, but, right, right. Right, right. So a part of it is maybe Val taps into that because if you're talking about what you did as law enforcement, guess what? You're running against a former JAG officer. So you have the armed services versus the police, essentially. Right. And how can you say anybody served different? So I feel that Val sharing her stories on maybe an incident that happened, talk about homeowners, safety, public safety, all all the different issues happening would work. And then also have a conversation with our community that says, listen, we can't defund the police. I am the police. Here's what we do. And end up having that gap to where black folks maybe have to grow more affinity towards the police. Like, listen, I get what she's saying. And at the same time, national Democrats get that. But we kind of lose that when we got people running for governor. And I, I get it. I understand how the dominoes laid out. But it's like at the same time, and I just say this real quick before we hop in. We have so many qualified Democrats in the Florida legislature right now. That if they're given the tools, they could run statewide and win, but we would rather not give them the opportunity and give it to the statewide elected ag commissioner. I get it, but I don't get it. Right. So I think the timelines are interesting because from my understanding, again, not, you know, um, revolving um, information that was given to me on the back chat, but I believe that the decision to run for Senate um, shaped the governor's field. If you understand what I'm saying, like, right. I, like it was, it was a, had that ball didn't drop and it dropped on, on the other side, we wouldn't even have these dis- discussions about who's running about, you know, Charlie and Nikki. Right, right, right. I right. think there, the vacuum was there because the decision to go to the other race. I, I would say that. I know that Charlie was... And I'm trying to mince my words because I don't want to... I'm trying to make sure I don't get into... No, no. Cases. Yeah. I get that. I, I get I, I won't push too far on it. I know that, honestly, a Val versus Charlie 
primary would have been a lot better than a Chris Nicky primary, right? Only for a fact to me that you'll be able to see the undertones of the Democratic Party for real. Mm-hmm. I want to say that after Andrew's win, there's still a, a inkling of okay, Democrats not afraid to elect somebody to be a nominee. But then from a national perspective, we got to be real. Democrats have not elected a black statewide south of the Mason since Reconstruction. Oh. Right. So my, my AirPods died. My bad. It's so okay. um, so they haven't elected one, but the Republicans have. Right. Yeah. So it's a fact of at least putting the DNC, DCCC, whoever, put them on notice to be like, listen, we can actually win a governor's race here, right? Mm-hmm. And have a black, two black governors in the South. I actually, I, I do want to get into the Democratic Party, the Florida FDP yeah, to be yeah. specific. Um, so my problem here, let me just keep it, I'm keeping a buck 50 with you. Um, the FDP has seated this primary race to Charlie and that they haven't really, they, they haven't governed. They haven't done what they're supposed to do. Like um, to your point, number one, the, the Democratic party in general doesn't believe in giving black candidates the, the look, right. They have to fit, you know, they have to fit certain, you know, things unless we push the narrative and like Andrew was not given the look. He had to push himself to get the look even after, you know, it was like, it was a whole thing with that. Right. Yeah. But when I talk about how I'm not a fan of how the, the Florida Democratic Party have handled the primary, in 2018, we had 12 debates for, for, mm-hmm. gov- for primary, for Democratic governor. In 2022, we had one debate on a Wednesday with the Spanish station. And only because, you know, Charlie didn't want to have a debate. He didn't want to do, he, he didn't want to greet his uh, debates. And my problem is that the Florida Democratic Party, yeah, fine. You don't want to deliver debates, but you should be, you should have um, put things in place to where, like, we have three separate debates. We're going to have one for the Black Caucus. We're going to have a one LGBTQI debate form. We're going to have an Hispanic debate form. Like, you know what I mean? Like, and we're going to, and if you don't want to show up, don't show up. Yeah. Don't, don't show up. Right. But we're going to make sure these are things that are scheduled on the calendar because we need people to get excited about November. Fuck August. The way we develop the way we develop um, November is that we de- we develop November in January and we create an interest in the primary. But the problem is the party was like, I'm just going to let the, ca- the, the Chris campaign dictate the, the pl- ebbs and flow and the pattern of this primary. And one of the reasons, one of the many reasons we're going to look like we're going to get killed in November is because the, the Florida Democratic Party has done a terrible job of engaging and getting voters interested. You can't get voters interested in a 10-week sprint from August 23rd to November. Facts. You can't do it. Facts. And, and, and I, it's, it's a two-pronged approach with that. I think one is more debates lead you to open attacks after the primary, right? Because what happens is, let's say you get two or three candidates, hypothetically speaking, even Nikki Charlie, those two, right? Mm-hmm. If they attack each other so much like they've been doing, it creates so many talking points. So by the time they get out the primary, it's like, listen, we've given everything the Republicans need to attack us. So actually, a part of not doing so many debates, in my mind, politically, isn't that bad. The other part of it is... I disagree with you on that one, but keep going. I, we, we, keep going. I want you to finish your thought, but I just want to let you know I, I disagree. You. Yeah, I got you. Um... The other thing of it is, is like, 
I think it's actually you said January. I think it's like eighteen month turnoff because people's attention spans are slow, right? Or not slow, but they pay attention to stuff in the moment. Yeah. So you have to at least work it up and build that momentum to that point. I think the issue is, and I actually did a, a blog about this um, after the last cycle, and e- even earlier this year, is a fact of we need to go into these communities. Backtrack. Every year, we do voter registration. Yeah. Right. Democrats push, hey, we need to register as many voters before the deadline, all this other stuff. But when you look at the data, you have less than maybe 30 to, I want to say less than 50 for real. 50% of people who register in the same year don't vote that election, right? Mm-hmm. So it's a fact of, okay, cool. If we're registering people to vote and less than half of them showing up every year, why don't we go engage the people that we did register that didn't vote? Right. And here's the thought process, right? It's, it's another thing that's going to break off from this. The thought process is, if I can find out why you registered, yeah. And why you didn't vote. Right. Cool. Let me find those five or six reasons. Right? right. And the same money that we're spending for ads or whatever, the FTP just want to blow pan the same consultants. Let's do think tanks and think, think groups to find out exactly why these people aren't voting in Jacksonville, in Orlando, in Palm Beach, in St. Pete. Facts. Right. And then from there, create a narrative of, you know what? These are the five things everybody kept saying why they didn't show out. So how about for new voters? Here's what we're saying. Here's what we're doing. So we, we break off a part of. New registration, old registration that never showed up. Right. The people that showed up, we don't have to worry about. We just keep engaging them like, like we normally do. Right. But then the part of it is when we're creating that narrative, we can't just pick the Democrats because no. when we're registering people to vote, they're Republican, independent and Democrat. They're pick, right. picking their party for us. We're right. just registering people. Right. Right. So then here's another thing. We won Duval County 2020 um, general election. First time since Jimmy Carter's race. And Duval turned blue for a number of reasons. Right. right? There were there was a faction of Senator Audrey Gibson, Tracy Davis, Angie Nixon, the um organization that could coordinate and, and things like that. And even Congressman Lawson sending uh, resources over as well. But a fact of it was we're we're having nightly calls, right? And we're going through precincts and we're like, listen, yeah, I see 1,700 more voters in this precinct, right? Mm-hmm. And I'm talking to someone that works at the Democratic Party and they're like, listen, no, I only see 700 voters in this precinct. And I'm like, how do you only see 700 left? I got 1,700. Like, it's a thousand difference. Like, how does that even make sense? And we're literally t- two weeks away from the election. He's like, listen, man, I only I see 700 Democrats. I say, see, that's the problem. I see yeah, a thousand. Yeah. I see 1,700 voters. Voters, yeah, yeah. Right. And and the problem is, mm-hmm. and I hope that people piece this together. We focus so much on the primary. We're only talking to Democrats, right? Because the only registered people we don't have to worry about independents. We got to worry about Republicans. And we create this narrative that only speaks to Democrats for. 18 months, a year, eight months, 10 weeks before the election, right? And then for some reason, after we've only talked to Democrats and only talked about Democratic issues, then we want to stretch it out and be like, independents, you should vote, vote for us. Republicans, you don't like Ron DeSantis, you should vote for us too, right. right? And a part of it is like you haven't spent any time learning, talking to, or even analyzing folks. And we've gone so far down the rabbit hole of just Democratic talking points that we're not speaking to everybody's issue. And, and the, the last thing, right? Only reason I'm saying that works is because that's what Obama ran on in 2008. If people want to stick to hope and change, but they forgot about the economy and he was talking to people's pockets. I agree. Here's the thing. Push back on number number one, your okay. point earlier. You're saying I don't, you know, taking a tax. Bill, you know, now you know that Republicans already have a political dossier on both candidates. Like, yeah. and it's like, so the con- the the, the idea that um, I never believed in the thing like we're creating talking points for Republicans. My thing is, 
Republicans already have the talking points. If anything, if anything, all you're okay. doing, okay. all you're doing is highlighting what <laughs> what is already going to be taking place in the in the general. You should a strong. I always believe a strong primary creates a stronger primary opponent creates a stronger candidate in the general. You mentioned Obama. Obama had. You know, he had to go through a tough primary in 2008 in order to, and then it made him a better candidate in the general. You know, Hillary, Hillary, you know, um, the reason Hillary lost, one of the many, many reasons Hillary lost is because she didn't learn from the primary and and the party was pushing her in the primary instead of making it a stronger primary for her. Trump won because Trump had a strong primary. And by the time he got to the general, he was a stronger candidate and he knew he knew engagement and how to win. The problem I have with Democrats, to your point, they only think to, you're right. They only think about talking to Democrats. And when it comes to general election, they don't get they, they now it's a 10 week sprint to talk to independents as well. Right. Instead of taking the time and saying that we're going to talk to and let's not even talk about Republicans. Let's just say I'm going to talk to independents and, and Democrats. Let's open it up, right? Even in that mm-hmm. sense, I'm going to talk to because at the end of the day, I'm creating an interest in my candidate or in my party. I'm creating a brand that once you get a chance to buy into it, you're going to want you're going to want some of this. But yeah, we don't yeah. we don't do that. We don't do that. We don't do that. We don't talk about the things that are important. We don't talk about pocketbooks. We don't talk about things that everybody can understand. And the Democratic Party you know, loses it to the point where we have um, right now Republicans have like 150,000 more registered voters mm-hmm. in, in the state. And it's the first time in the cycle in Florida history that more, there are more registered Republicans than Democrats. Right. But there are still more independents that are like 52, 53% lean Democratic, you know, in the state, I think. Um, yeah, I'm my problem is that I don't even care if Republicans have more registered people because to your point, not of all, all of them are going to vote anyway. It doesn't, it's not about who, how many people you registered. No, 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 no. On the other side, 70% of newly elected Republicans oh. vote less than 50% of then newly elected the, Democrats, Democrats don't vote. Okay. But, I, I didn't say that earlier, but yeah. okay. Fair yeah. enough. Fair point. But my, my thing is you haven't even focused for Democrats. You haven't even focused on why the people, your 50% are not voting. Right. You haven't even engaged with the people like so you're worried about there are more Republicans registered. And I'm like, cool. What about the friggin people that you've already registered that you haven't talked to in two years? That yeah. you don't even know. Yeah. So yeah. you can talk about we need to register more voters. Eh, that's fine. But there are independents and our Democrats here that you don't even talk to. And then now, you know, you find yourself in a primary where n- 70% of people don't even realize who there's a primary. Except, you know what I mean? Like I, I was at the barbershop yesterday and to a person went to 10 people who you voting for in the, in the primary for governor. What? What? Who, what are you talking about? What are you talking about? Who are you voting for? Gut? I don't know. I don't know. What the, I don't yeah. even know who's running. I don't even know who's running. What do you mean you don't know who's running? This is, a, this is an important election. Oh, I don't. I've never even heard anything. That's a Democratic, Florida Democratic Party problem because that is, is a, that is a demographic in which you, nobody in the barbershop knows except for me and my barber. And that, that ends up being the issue to where it's like it's a communication. But here's the other thing, right? Mm-hmm. And, and I'm not going back on the Nikki piece. I just got to be real because this is what Democrats do. Yeah. They also pander to black folks to where they show up to the barbershops. Then they're like, you know what? 
when I'm governor, I'm going to give you reparations. Hey, guess what? When I'm governor, I'm going to make sure you have a marijuana license. Right. I, this is what I'm going to do. I'm going to make sure a black farmer get a license, everything else. But here's what they're forgetting. If you're a Democrat elected in Florida as governor, you still have a Republican legislature. Right. They're not. They have the lawmaking legislative authority. Mm. All you have is a veto pen. Right. You can make requests. You can try to delay. The best thing you could really do is say, you know what? I'm vetoing the budget. I'm vetoing every bill that y'all give me. And y'all going to be here all year. Right. That's really the only power you have. And if they have enough to be like, yeah, we're not coming back for a special session that you ordered. They're not coming. Right. So it will be a bigger fight between like I, I had a conversation earlier this year with some folks on Charlie's team and they were talking about the Andrew race. Like, you know, it would have been a benefit if Andrew won because look at all the jobs he would have had at state agencies. Right. And it would have been benefit people. I'm like, listen, he would have had no legislative power. They, they, they would have. I've seen Nan Rich do this. Nan Rich ran, ran against Charlie Chris. I want to say 20. When did he run for governor last? 2014. Mm-hmm. Right. She was in a primary against him. It was a situation where we needed to vote on the issue. But then they rolled kids health care in with like some beach stuff or, or something else for businesses. Right. Mm-hmm. And we end up losing a Democratic vote. And it's like, you know what? Just imagine if you get some legislation to where it's packed with positives and negatives and you're a Democratic governor. And it's like, you know what? It's, it's supporting businesses or ruining the environment. But it's also language in this bill that says, you know what? It's Medicaid or it's uh, health care for kids, for um, kids in the hood. Mm-hmm. Right. You veto that bill. They're going to, hey, he doesn't care about the kids. You you pass the bill. Guess what? He's for big corporations in the environment. So just imagine you're governor. Now you're dealing with this. Now, I'm not saying we don't need a, a checks and balances book stop. Right. Mm-hmm. But there's a part of it that's realistic that says, you know what? If we're going to this barbershop having this conversation, we're selling the dream. We're going to get rid of FCAT. We're going to do this. We're going to get guns off the street. Black lives matter. Everything. Right. Mm-hmm. Good and well knowing. Y'all can't do nothing. Right. And that's another part to where the pandering the cultural divide. Right. We have to not only have candidates that have a tribe. People talk about a bench. I think candidates need a tribe and, and not, not the fandom. But like you were saying earlier, mm-hmm. but being like, you know what? These are the people in the community that I need to go to for my nonprofits. These are the people I need to go to for my clergy. Right. These are the, my business community and being like, listen, we're going to make a coalition of folks to fix the issues in, the, in our area. Right. right. Instead of having that, we talk about a bench which essentially is, hey, when I'm done running for office, you take my seat. Right. Right. And it's not really anything that's building any kind of continuity or longevity in these communities that need it. Because if you have these five pillars or whatever is needed in the community, your tribe, right? Mm-hmm. They're the ones going to the barbershop, not during the election. But guess what? Shit, I'm coming to get a haircut every week. Right. And I'm going to talk to y'all. And everybody, every 20 people that's in here, y'all know I'm coming every week to talk politics. Right. And did you know that this is what the census did? And y'all got a question about CRT. Don't say gay bill. Here's the truth about what's really happening. Right. And marking these conversations not just during the election, but throughout the year, has people to a point of saying, like, you know what? I want to be more woke. Right. right. Because it's the fact of saying, like, you know what? You're telling me a lot of stuff that I don't know. And here's the thing, right? I remember going to my barber. They talked about cutting the licensing hours for, for being a certified barber from, like, 60 hours to 12, mm. right? And we're having this conversation. I have a, I have three barbers in the whole state, one in Jacksonville, one in Tallahassee, one in Palm Beach. So if I'm anywhere, I know where I'm going to get a haircut, right? Right. And all three of them I had this conversation with. I'm like, how would you feel about the certification hours to be a barber? Like, listen, I don't support that. Because there's certain things that you get in the school that you're not going to get in training. If somebody yeah. comes with bumps on the back of their neck yeah. or they have ringworm, all the other stuff, right? But a, pro- a problem is 
how many barbers are part of the legislative process. Oh, yeah. Right. Right. So then if you have a situation, be like, listen, hey, we got situations where honestly, there was someone who came to me a few years ago about lace fronts and how lace fronts are deteriorating black women's hairlines and, and the chemicals they're using and things like that. Right. If they outlaw lace fronts in the state of Florida mm. because of a health issue, people would be upset. Right. right? But right. who's educating people on why it's happening? Right. Right. Who's around here telling the barbers who are who have to buy, who have to be certified through the state? Listen, you have the conversations here politically every week, but a part of it is who's representing you in these conversations when they're like, you know what? Less government regulation. We don't need you don't need to have 60 hours to be a barber. Give them 12. Now you're in the barbershop cutting crooked edges. I need one now. Please excuse me. Right. But uh, all, all it is, is the fact of saying there, there's a regulatory piece that we're all impacted by. We want barbers that are certified. But if they decide to change something, that conversation needs to be spread down and make sure that they're a part of that conversation as well. And also, if we're talking about legislative powers, like, you know what? No, when I get back to office. I, I'm the governor. I'm going to make sure that every barber gets at least 60 hour certification. So, so here's here's what I, I I will say, and um, the idea that having a bench, yeah, no, no, I mean, excuse me, having a tribe. That's I love that, right? And to even to your point though, right, having a constant engagement with uh, political officials, um, where it doesn't seem mm-hmm. like this thing where every election cycle you come into the church or coming into the barbershop or whatever like that, right? You know what I mean? But you're having constant interest but this goes into us also understanding as at the top of my pod i talked about having a real understanding of who we are and what we represent and being right. engaged and not just like you know just tuning in every two months or tuning in three weeks before the election like oh who's running it who's running now that goes on to us with actually having interest on politics 24 7 365 and not just when we when it comes across our television screen or our radio station or 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 our social media timeline you know, um, and then also understanding who these politicians are. They're very transactional and sitting in that. And it's like this is they're not our heroes. You know, they're not characters in a story. There are people that are elected, duly elected in order to serve a purpose. And if we're not serving that, that purpose constantly and reminding them of that purpose, we've missed a ship on this one. You know, I, I, I get I get what you're saying. Yeah. I, I think that there is a lot of fandom because people look at. Um, entertainers and politicians the same way. Yeah. Um, and, and the, the crazy part is, in our in our culture specifically, I don't think that that's the right way or the right mentality. Mm-hmm. Right. It's kind of like when uh, Diddy said he was withholding the black vote until he got the black agenda from Biden. Right. Right. It's like that. There's a push to make it seem as if we're all a monolith that we're all going to vote the same way. Mm-hmm. Um. Sometimes we will. Sometimes we won't. But I think that. The bigger thing of it is people have the regular life to live. People don't care about politics. Right. right. And, and, and that's the reality of the people who do. I think they grow that fandom because they actually see the work that their favorite members doing. Mm-hmm. Right. And I don't I don't knock the fandom. I just want it to be realistic. You know, like if we're being real, is it effective to have somebody who's going viral every time they speak and they don't and money the budget? Or is it effective to have somebody who's not on news like that, but they're showing up with resources every time they're in the community. Right. Right. It, it, it's a base on that. But at the same time, we live in a society overall, especially through social media that says, 
what have you done for me lately? Mm. And if you're not out there doing it, if you're not out there building the likes, if you're not out there getting the comments, if you're not saying anything about anything and everything, that you're not really doing the job, right? So, so we have this twisted dynamic on reality, but at the same time, we have to realize that there's a set of folks who want something real. Right. And I think that's where the, the fandom ends up coming in to where I think you said earlier, uh, fandom versus the objectivity of w- what people actually do or in politics. I think that the fandom really grows from them being fans of this 24 yeah. seven, but being objective to be like, listen, how do you successfully do something in process? That's where people get lost in, in the whole mix um, of actually being, I, I want to say efficient and successful in this process. Yeah. Um, so here's here's a, another, another you know another thought process too, regarding mm-hmm. uh, just you know, being engaged. So my, again, me supporting Nikki, number one, I believe, I yes, I do. I think she has a better shot against DeSantis. That shot, whether you know, whether the minimus or not, you know, because right now he has a hundred. DeSantis has a hundred fifty million dollar. Um, he has a hundred fifty million dollar uh, uh, war chest, and then Republicans, you know, they're they're not gonna they're gonna spend so much no. money in this state to ensure that their golden boy is gonna be there and ready for two thousand twenty four. So, right. um, there's that. But also, my thought process with Charlie, comparatively to Nikki, was that I know. That Charlie's been in politics for thirty plus years, almost right. forty years. So in that, there's a lot of relationships that have been created. Thanks. There's also a lot of characterizations that he's like, I just see see the world a certain way, mm-hmm. and it's hard for him to see it see it in a different perspective. Oh, and and quite frankly, too, um, sometimes I feel like Charlie is not authentic. Well, they're both not out there. You know, you know, they're. But, yeah, yeah, yeah. I give you that. Yeah, yeah both of them. Yeah, yeah. you know what I mean. But Charlie, we'll, we'll be fair and agree there. I got you. Yeah, he's you know um, authentic, and he's 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 he doesn't really have a set of core sometimes. Just kind of like where he go, like he he's transactional. He's not a bad person. I've heard from people that know him, like he's actually a nice guy. Yeah, yeah real nice guy, likable, likable, extremely can be extremely likable. Oh. A little bit, uh, you know, talks to you really full of shit because doesn't really he's not really on it. He doesn't really, you know, he yeah, really, it's, it's all it's all talking points that he's known for thirty years at this point. Yeah, but, but uh, yeah, yeah. Um, my thing with Nikki is that should she be successful in this particular primary? Mm-hmm. It's me keeping in keeping in touch with her and staying on top of her and reminding her. That listen, the promises that were made, I need to be promises kept, whatever they may be, and 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 that includes includes staffing, you know what I mean? It includes keeping a constant pressure. Like I know when I've dealt with, I'm gonna give an example, um, local here, and one of the things when I told her I was gonna jump, I was gonna jump on and, and be a part of her team early on, and she actually was an underdog, and she she won. Um, I've mm-hmm. you know one be, have had two people separately that been underdogs and they won. But one of the things I said, listen, if I jump on, you have to. The promise I need from you is that I'm in the. I, once you win, I'm not gonna be left out the cold, and I need to be in your inner circle, and I need to make sure. And then we could we could talk about things 
and talk about your strategy and policy and all this other stuff that I think are going to be important towards the community. Mm-hmm. That, was, that was our understanding. And they've kept that, they've kept that bargain, you know? Here's one thing I'll say in all respect across the board. My only ask would have been to be on the transition committee. I, I, and I was, and I was. Okay. I got you. I got you. I got you. Right, we, we're good. We're good. Yeah, I was, I was on the transition committee as well as, you know, um, that, but it, as far as, I got yes, um, for Nikki, that'd be the same thing. Right. I, need, I need to be on the transition committee. You know what I mean? I need to be, I need to be a, a seat at the table. And so I have to like continually, continuously stay in contact with her, continuously be on top. Cause to remind her, my backing of her wasn't just, Hey, I just want you to win. No, my backing here is that, all right, I want you to win. But when you win, should you win? Mm-hmm. Remember I'm here. You know, right? And, rem- and, and, and here, here's the only issue. I, I, if you're not, if you're done, I, no, if you're no, no, done, no, no. I, I want to hear your thought because yeah, 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 yeah. The only thing I would say, and it's not to push me or anything else. I think it's more like the lobbyist standpoint, right? Right. It's where when that elected official sees me, they need to be seeing you. Yeah. Because yeah. a part of it is you got your everyday life. And right. it's not just you. I mean, people in general. It's like, listen, right. I'm supporting you. To change, I, I endorse you. I cut a couple of checks for you, whatever, right? And it's like, okay, I want to make sure you're doing these things. And I'm not saying there's a checks and balances, but it's like, you know what? Who's going to make sure when they see you in Tallahassee, Facts. they can pull upon you and be like, listen, hey, Facts. Kamar said, right. we need to veto this bill because his group is against it. Right. And having that like, damn, okay, Phil's here. And it, it's not even a fact to me. No, 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 it's but I, I agree. I agree. Yeah. I agree. Yeah. You know what I mean? It Like, if black people are a spear, we need somebody who's going to be at the tip of the spear or we need an arrowhead or we need the vine holding the every like there's always something. But we need all to be working in, con- in conjunction. So you're right. You would need to be because I have a day everyday job. I can't be in Tallahassee. Right. right? So it needs so, to be so, like, but that, that's the thing where even for your listeners, it's not kind of like and it's not to say, oh, everybody get lobbyists. Right. Because that, right. that's not the answer. Right. It's more of a fact of you have to stay in front of their face some kind of way. So right. whether it's. If it's not Nikki herself as governor, right. it's a chief of staff. Right. It's, or maybe it's a chief that handles the specific issue that you focus on. Guess what? Who do you have handling education? Who do you have handling criminal justice? Who do you have handling all these different things? Right. Guess what? They're going to hear from me at least once every two weeks. Right. And they're going to know exactly what I'm talking about and, and keeping it up. So it's a fact of there is that. It, let, let me kind of bring it in a little bit. There's a face value piece to where it's like, you know what? I talked to you, I'm going to check in with you because I'm the one that you talk, you talk to in a barbershop, right? right? And you can't even get my vote in my check. But the reality of it is you need to have a relationship with that staffer who, who controls her schedule or yeah. controls that part of the policy or appropriations that she's focused on because guess what? They're the ones that see it every day. Yeah. And if they're like, you know what? Cool. Phillip's calling me. Kamara's calling me about this issue. When they're going in their meeting with the governor, let's say Governor Freed, right? Right. They're going to the meeting with Governor Freed. They're like, listen, shit. All right, cool. What do we need? Because it's not as if Stephen Ross from the Miami Dolphins doesn't do it. Right. It's not as if a John Morgan doesn't do it from Morgan and Morgan. Yeah. It's not as if anybody else who has access to be like, hey, governor, man, listen, what are y'all doing with Disney? Right. Like, you know, like, I hear y'all, but this is how it impacts me. All right, cool. We're going to pass something out. We're going to give it to 2023. Don't worry about it right now. It's going to be fixed before next year. Right. After I'm reelected, all this other stuff. Right. Right. Cool. You had that conversation to where now, guess what? He, he, he gave me exactly what he said. Right. But who has access to make that call? Right. People with, with the bag, the person and the access. Right. Mm-hmm. But at the same time, it's like for us, 
we have to be more strategic on who that person is, right. how they're going to do it, and how they're going to carry that that pail of water all the way in. Right. Yeah, that's facts. I, and I, I agree with that wholeheartedly. Um, I guess it would be disservice if I didn't ask you, how do you see this primary race going? Or do you want to give an opinion? How do you see it? No, no, no. I, I can give an opinion. Um, honestly, I think it's a toss-up. But what I will say is this, right? Yeah. Anything can happen. Yeah. I think that Charlie is the establishment favorite only because, and this is the real, realistic part, he has some Democrats advising him who've been doing Democratic campaigns since the 70s, 80s, 90s till yeah. now, right? Yeah. There's an establishment that's, that's there for Charlie. Charlie, you feel me? Both sides of the aisle, before he switched parties, it's like, you know what? He's a likable guy. Right. Regardless, right? But then Nikki's credit, I give her, is this. Roe v. Wade has really energize a lot of women, especially minority women. Yeah. Right. Um, I do feel that in 2018, if Andrew would have picked Gwen Graham or any woman, I agree. He would have won because 2018 was the year woman. Right. Every year is a year woman. (laughs) To be honest, just in case I don't want anybody coming at me. Yeah. I I support everyone. Yeah. But I, I do feel that it'll come down to pockets of where the support is. Now, one thing I realize is there's a contingent of Democrats in Jacksonville, Orlando, South Florida, but the money goes to South Florida, but South Florida doesn't vote like the rest of the state. So I really feel that whoever wins this primary is the person who's allocated their resources in the best areas to turn out the most votes, Mm -hmm. right? Charlie knows this state, but here's here's another thing. I don't want to mix issues, but let's be real. I think a part of it is this race, like the Biden... Trump race isn't about black folks, right? And I told folks this before when they really were on the Bernie train, like, oh, Bernie's gonna beat Trump. He's the only one that can do it. I said, no, this isn't this isn't about us. This is between Biden and Trump because it's about splitting the white vote, mm-hmm. right? And about the people who are gun ho MAGA versus sensible white folks are like, listen, minorities come on board, everybody else come on board. We just want to get the semblance of America back, right? Right. I feel that Charlie kind of brings that. And here's the reason why I say Nikki, and it's not negative, it's just to be real. She's going to get hit for her financial report, which is going to make her look suspect. Right. Because if you don't know, I know it's going to come out eventually. Charlie hasn't done it, but Ron, Ronnie will. Right. Essentially, when she ran in 2018, I want to say she said her net worth was like two hundred thousand. She didn't report that she had some marijuana clients or marijuana money coming in Then she fixed and amended it. Right. Mm-hmm. They're going to be on that from an ethics point all, all day. So I would see that really turning some people off at the same time. It's more of a fact of, okay, Nikki, we were elected at the same time, four years. What have you done versus what I've done? Yeah, he's governor. They're both in the cabinet. But it's like, if your laundry list is just DeSantis and what Ronnie, Ron DeSantis has done and hasn't done, not gonna that's do not going to be good. Right. right. You, can't run, then, you can't run that so-and-so so bad. You got to run a, why am I the better candidate? I agree. Right. thousand percent. Right. Yeah. And, and the only advantage I see Charlie having, and I think it showed up in some polls, is He's had like, listen, when I was governor, your homeowner's insurance rate wasn't going up. Right. This wasn't happening. This wasn't happening. Like all the different things that he could kind of tout as a Republican governor. Yes, he was Republican. But guess what? Right. I also showed up for Obama. My, my party kicked me out because, like he said, the Republican Party he grew up in. That's not, and that's not a true. And that's not a true statement, by the way, the whole Obama Charlie narrative. But you know that. Anyway. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I know. I know it's not. But yeah, it's yeah. a fact. It's two things. Right. Because I was young in the process. then. They had Senate Bill six which was an education bill that Charlie vetoed when he was governor. Mm-hmm. 
a few months after he vetoed that bill because it was a strong Republican bill. It could have been dealing with charter schools. I'm not sure. But that's when he started losing the Republican support and they went towards Marco because the inner workings of those conversations then were if he vetoed Senate Bill 6, we're going to support Marco for the U.S. Senate. Mm. Right. He vetoed the bill. It happened that way. And of course, Charlie started pulling for straws. But then the issue ends up being people who can talk to, OK, are you better off than you were four years ago? Right. Because that, that most likely will be a talking point against Biden. Let's say he runs for president. But at the same time, it's a part of saying who who is the biggest voting block that needs to be split in order to win. Right. Mm-hmm. Not the black voters, but like, OK, is it Hispanic voters or is it the white voters? And I think that if you really put everyone up, I don't think you can label Charlie Christian socialist. I don't think you can. La- I think you can probably label Nikki Freed that. Right. But at the same time, she sued Biden. She sued some other folks. But to answer your question, because I know I'm going on a soliloquy here, I think it's wide open for the primary. I do think that whoever spends their money the best mm-hmm. is going to win the primary. Mm-hmm. But right now, Charlie has bank compared to Nikki. Right. So I would assume that he would spend the money right. So here's here's my thought process on why I don't think Charlie is the better mm-hmm. candidate. Right. Um, Bang game, Charlie. <laughs> well, not even that. Like, I mean... Yeah, I mean that's that, right? You know, and they're gonna you're gonna see mailers with that in in November if he becomes a nominee, right? They're, they're gonna they're gonna weaponize Charlie's history against him, right? You know? But my problem with the, the it's a false narrative to think like, well, you know, the same way the Biden thing. I've heard that Biden 2020 and Florida in 2022. That's why you know Charlie and I'm like that's not an apples to apples. Yeah, it's not, it's not. yeah, because, you know, number one, Biden lost Florida by 350,000 votes, you know, and so like, <laughs> you know, what I mean, so there's number one, there's that. So he doesn't even his appeal here in this state is not the same. So we if you that's already a red flag in itself. But number one, number two, the difference between national Democrat, national, um, I guess, uh, electorate in 2020 and Florida electorate in 2022 is that the national electorate was exhausted by Trump. Whereas in Florida, and you whether I'm talking about black Democrats the same way, they don't feel exhausted by DeSantis because they feel like, you know what I mean? They don't feel like, you know what? Business is all right. My business is fine. I talked to a black, again, we're talking about barbers, talking to a black owner. I'm like, listen, if it becomes, if it's between Charlie and DeSantis, I'm picking DeSantis. Because, you know, and that's literally what he said. And I asked another person, another separate business owner, same thing, Democrat. Yeah, but you know what? If Charlie's on the ballot between Charlie and DeSantis, I'm picking DeSantis. You know, Nikki, I might I might give her a listen to see what she has to offer. You know, but Charlie, I don't even want to see what he has to offer because I know what I'm going to I know DeSantis, what I'm going to get. Yeah. And so that's a canary in the coal mine when you talk to people and you say that, you know, you see that they're not exhausted by DeSantis. Now we, as bl- certain black people in this political sphere, might be exhausted because he took away Al Lawson's seat and took another, you know, took away two black seats, and you know the CRT issue and the the don't and, and, and the don't say gay bill or you know the woke act and all this other stuff is exhausting. But normal people don't really watch that shit. Facts, facts. You know what I mean? That's not a real shit to them. That, that shit doesn't even exist. You know, and so you have to talk to people where they're at, and. I don't see how, you know, I don't see the 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 narrative that I've seen spin that you know uh, Charlie is going to sh- offer something and for people, you know, the same way Biden offers something against Trump. Uh, DeSantis is a lot smarter than Trump. 
lot he's a lot he's a lot smoother in his delivery than Trump. And yeah. he doesn't and the appeal of him is not one of man, this shit has gone through the rudder. The appeal of him is like, you know, he at least he's giving like, yo, we're building from strength. You saw the commercial he had the other day? Like, I don't know if he's yeah, 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 yeah. I saw like, after the uh, the um Hall of Fame game the other night. Yeah, it's like it's like, yo, like he's kinda like he's like he's acting like he's shook night. At the at the at the source awards, like yo, you know what I mean? You you, you tired of everything? Come over to the death row. Come over to, the, uh, to Florida. Facts, facts. And and then people are riding with right. it. No, I'm sorry. Go ahead. No, I, I was gonna say I've talked to Republicans and Democrats about this. I had Democrats agree with me. I talked to my mom about this, and she's a lifelong Democrat. She hates DeSantis. When I told her I'm good with Christina Pushaw and, and members of his staff, my mom was like, "Listen, I can't talk to you no more. Get off my phone." Right. Right. So that, that that's what she was. But the re- reality of it is this. We elect leaders. Yeah. Right. We don't elect people who just nag and complain. Right. And the difference is, regardless of what you say, I've heard he's a very like reserved person, introvert. Right. Mm-hmm. But when he has these press conferences and the way he attacks the media and responds, I'm like, listen, I'm not answering this. This is what I'm talking about. Right. Right. But it right. reminds me of this Chappelle show. Right. Yeah. When Dave Chappelle was president. Mm-hmm. And it's kind of like, wait, I'm not here to talk about all this. This is what I'm talking about. This is what it is. Keep moving. Mm-hmm. There's a subconscious piece because when we run the campaigns, as I always say, we're talking to the subconscious of people because we we have to at least create a message to where we're having a conversation at the dinner table, we're yeah. having a conversation at the barbershop, we're having a conversation deep enough for you to talk to your wife or your husband about it, then for you to go to sleep, get out your bed and go to the election spot to go vote. Right. right? That's how subconscious we need to be working. Right. But when we're thinking about it, people don't elect naggers they don't elect people that like listen you're just complaining yeah. you don't have any solutions and when you look at DeSantis outside looking in inside looking out politics or not he looks like a leader right. from how he how his persona on how he carries himself Facts. now mind you right I'll, I'll give you this you can be loud and wrong all day right it's the confidence in how you say something like, right. listen I know he's wrong but shit I believe him you feel me? Absolutely. Yeah. And you feel me? So, so part of it is yeah. we need people. And this is kind of why I said, I said what I said. There are Democrats in the Florida legislature that can be better candidates than Nikki and Charlie combined. Mm-hmm. Right. And it's only because they know how to carry themselves as a leader. Right. They're not going to get caught up in, in like, listen, this doesn't move people. Right. It's a common sense approach to moving folks. And at the end of the day, I get it. It's all politics, right? Mm-hmm. <laughs> Literally. But the bigger part of it is we have to have a leader. Yeah. And I'm not yeah. saying like a strong man, because I don't want any. any no, no, I don't, yeah, 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 yeah. Right. It could be AOC. But guess what? AOC was a bartender. She knew how to talk to people. Because right. guess what? People go to the bar and talk to the bartender. Right. So she's, she's able to reciprocate th- those conversations. Right. We need to have someone progressive, liberal, and moderate. Right. Mm. When you look at them, they're carrying themselves as a leader and they know how to communicate. Right. They're they're talking to your pocketbook and they're talking about these issues. And the the bigger issue, even why I said a more affordable Florida, because I actually did pitch that as a point to Charlie's campaign. I'm like, listen, I know y'all work in a campaign, but me and my homie were just having a conversation. And we feel that something that will draw people in will be a more affordable Florida. Talk about rent prices going up, gas going up. Talk about all these different things that hit people's pocket and be like, damn, yes. Why is this happening under fiscal conservative leadership in Tallahassee? Right. Mm-hmm. How does our budget balloon? I had a conversation with Lawson about this. How does our budget balloon from 60 billion to 100 billion 
and we still have problems under fiscal conservative leadership, mm-hmm. right? right? When you put that in Pensacola, the villages, whatever, people will be like, yeah, Ron DeSantis, I fought with you, but shit, yeah, my homeowner's insurance or my escrow short. Right. Right. What's going on here? Like my homeless, but and people will start to have a conversation to where when they get those notices for their their millage rate in October, yeah. the same time he's giving a hundred million dollar tax rebate for gas. Right. Wait, I know gas price going down, but shit, Ron, I'm I'm paying a lot. Right. And it only beats into the fact of like you know what, I'm voting against DeSantis, not from the fact of his messaging and him being looking like a leader. I can't afford to have DeSantis be governor again. Right. You feel me? Right. To me, that's a more buy-in that we end up learning in, in think tanks. I agree. To be like, you know what? I agree. This is the messaging you need to have with a campaign, right? That most campaigns don't get. All right, so I'm because we got to end, but I want to, but I want to say something to your point. When I talk to a candidate, I'm giving up some game here, and I think you understand where I'm going to go with it. I always, I told my barber, there's three things that you have to convince a voter. One, you have to let them know who's who's on the ballot. Right when you're talking about the candidate, you, they have to know the candidate. Candidate number yeah, two, yeah, to, okay. number, two number two, they have to know what that candidate is running for. Right, that's number mm-hmm. two. That's the that's the second hurdle, and the third one is the biggest hurdle. This is and I, this is a Kamara game that I've I've I know where you are. I've created it. I don't I've got, I haven't gotten this anywhere, but I created this thing. These three prongs. The third one and the hardest one is for them. They have to see you in that position. They have to be able to believe. Hmm. They have to believe that you are, you can be like, like you've, you've heard people, you've been in politics, you heard people say, oh, I want to run for office. And you look at them like, I don't know if I see you in that seat, bro. Like, you know what I mean? Yeah, <laughs> you know? yeah. yeah. People actually told me that. I tweeted it one time for some of my homies back in high school. I'm like, yeah, I'm thinking I, I should run for office one day. Yeah. They're like, bro, I, know, I need to know what your values are. I need to know who you are, what you're running for, right? Yeah. And I'm sitting like, what the fuck? Yeah. Like, you should support me because you're the homie. But you're right. People have like if it doesn't align with them, it doesn't align with them. Right, and so to your point, they have to like. All right, now I know who you are. Oh, now I know who you're, where you're, where you're, uh, who what you're running for. Uh, but I still don't know if I see you for that seat, you know. And that and you have to convince people that to your point, that I can sit in that seat to the point where, like I said, when I, locally, I we started talking about talking points of what does it look like when you're in that seat, not. Why that person's terrible? But what does it look like when I'm in this seat? This is what I'm. This is what's going to happen. And your life is going to be better because I'm here, you know. But I'm sorry. Yeah. Go ahead. No, no. I was going to. I would add a fourth point to that. Yeah. To only understand what that position does. Mm. Yeah. Because I, I think I think that there's a disconnect. There is a disconnect in our community to where you know what a senator is. But what's the difference between the senator and the state house and what Val Deming is running for? Right. And what powers do they have? Right. And I think that what I end up making like a five or six point thing. So your, your three points are solid. I would just add like yeah. what the position does, because people don't know. And, and it's not a fact of they're just they're ignorant and don't know. It's like, no, I got two or three jobs. I'm trying to balance out. I got a company I'm trying to run. I'm trying to make payroll, everything else. Right. 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 So the fact of if I have my day to day life going, I don't care what you're running for. Right. But if you kind of tell me, well, okay, cool, you're paying tax, you're paying business taxes. Well, shit. If I'm your state representative, I'm gonna make sure that your business taxes are lower. Right. I'm gonna make sure that you can get the facilities and investment that you need. So, and kind of explaining what that position is right. would help. But it does take that foresight to be like, listen, I have to go educate folks, yeah. not only about who I am, but about what this position does and how I'm gonna help benefit them. Absolutely, that's a great point. Great point. And I, and I actually do believe that. I put, probably should add that to the fourth prong. 
All right. I got so, you. I got you. <laughs> all right. So um, give me your closing, your closing thoughts on just everything, you know. Um, I would say, and I know there'll be some listeners here. I don't have a problem with Nikki Free. If oh. Nikki Free becomes <laughs> a governor and she comes out of the primary, it, it is what it is, right? But I, I, I'll eat pro for that, right? But the biggest thing is I think that there's a lot of room for growth, not only with the black culture and politics, yeah. but also for a fact of getting things like we talk about reparations, right? Yeah. I feel that a form of reparations is making sure that we can get what we need out of government and having people who are in government or working in politics, ensuring that that happens. Now, I'm not talking about 40 acres and a mule. Right. I'm talking about making sure our kids aren't in the school to prison pipeline. I'm making sure that our kids are learning coding or getting into tech or providing the full wraparound services and substance abuse, mental health things I discussed earlier. But I think that the biggest part is just being involved and being uh, has some self-education about the candidates, the issues and what's really happening, because regardless of it, there's some propaganda out there. But realistically, you need to make sure that you're voting and you're aligning with uh, what you feel is best for your community, and your state. Uh, overall, that would be my closing thought. Again, I had no beef with Nikki Freed. It is what it is. <laughs> no, I know. I know you don't have any. Um, I mean, I think you're like me where you look at things an objective uh, point of view. All right. So I always like to end on a. A love, uh, love letter to black culture. So, um, dear black culture, we just had a multifaceted conversation surrounding black politics and engagement, a topic and a subject that I'm always interested in. And if I was supposed to crystallize this conversation into one frame statement, I would say that it's what it's that we want the Democratic Party to focus on us and our issues. But also, we have to do a better job of demanding our wants, needs, and interests. Uh, we just don't want surface level care or concern. We want maybe a tribe. Right. Uh, We want real or maybe we want the real or maybe we just need to be honest and understand that expecting the real from a fake process will leave us always disappointed and dissatisfied. Maybe we have to we've been operating with a type of cognitive cognitive dissonance dissonance. uh, Maybe we need to understand that we're operating in hypocrisy. And if we recognize that, then maybe we can start by having real conversations amongst ourselves and with the party as a whole. Now, make no mistake about it. We demand that the party look at us uh, through a bigger lens and then just the voting body. But we need them to see that having us centered at the seat at the table, rather, um, would benefit not only them, but us as well. And so in, actually in everybody in general. And we need them to see our, our value equals their benefit and vice versa for us. It's time for us to make sure that they see our power and it's time for us, time for them to recognize that. So with that being said, um, I couldn't think of a better song to write out to. Um, thank you all for listening. And until next time, uh, we are out. I'm the kind of man that recognizes talent. And when I find it, I put it to work. Maybe you forget I'm
Take a look at me, bitch. Yeah. 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 Take a look at me, motherfucker. Look at me. And my bitch got a tech check back. She gon' put a real nigga back on this beat. Used to ride in the clean A3 with the wood and the Louis V's on my seat. Motherfuck, would you hurt when I ride in the girl? Make a hoe clean off her feet. Tell the bitch what you looking at. Soda with cocaine, I'm cooking that.